just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to look at your word, to worship you through the study of your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 11. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you, you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So we're going to stop there because this is the end of a paragraph. And uh, we, we have one of these places where it's kind of an unfortunate chapter break because verse 1 really belongs with chapter 10. And I just take this opportunity to remind everybody the chapters and verses were not in the original writings. Okay, the, the disciples did not write in chapter chapter and verse format. The, these were added around four or 500 AD and they were added to make it easier for us to teach. <laughs> Plain and simple. So that when we said turn to Matthew, we could tell you exactly where to turn to Matthew instead of having you kind of guess where you were, where you were headed. And so this last one, it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. And this really, like I said, should be part of 10. But Jesus finished this talking to his disciples. Remember, chapter 10 was where the disciples came back from going out and ministering. And they were all excited that the demons, you know, were driven out by at their word and people were healed and the message of the gospel went out and Jesus gave them a long dissertation about you know be more happy that you, of who you're serving and and not not the, the the that you had this power and so but he said he then went to teach and preach in their cities and I just want to give this idea there's a slight difference between teaching and preaching and not everybody knows that difference but teaching is just literally imparting instructions or instilling doctrine okay literally that's what we do on most of our studies we just teach I tell you what I know and help build doctrine and take questions and answer questions preaching is to pro publicly proclaim the good news and that's pretty much what we do on Sunday it's just a one-way conversation uh, preaching and teaching are very close but preaching has a totally different style. It, it is just, we're going to tell you, we're going to proclaim. It's that speech giving where you're not expecting to answer questions from the, from the crowd. You're just giving a one-way communication and you're trying, sometimes you'll anticipate the questions and be able to answer the questions in that speech. But teaching has a whole different doctrine. You're trying to build people up. You're trying to instill knowledge in them. A preacher is just trying to get conviction, basically, follow follow what God says and so Jesus did both as he taught and most rabbis did a teaching style of of, of uh, presenting and in in the, their day they the rabbi sat down and the students stood and not quite the way we do it in our day and age <laughs> um, but it is the way they did it there and the rabbis would oftentimes ask questions get feedback from the people and then find out by, and by doing that they found out where the people were at and then could teach according to where they were at rather than just start ripping off a, a message that nobody cared about and you'll see Jesus did this frequently 
people would ask him a question. What did he do? He asked them a question back and started getting them thinking and finding out how to answer from what they had said. And uh, this is a very good thing to do. And verse 2 says, Now John, when John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said, Are you he who should come, or do we look for another? All right, so we're looking at this. John the Baptist has been arrested, all right, and he's in prison. The, the reason that he's arrested is found in Mark chapter 6. Uh, Herodias, who is the wife of Herod, hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist dared to tell her and Herod that it was not right for them to be married because she had been Herod's brother's wife. And he, she, he had not died, but he took her as his wife. And Herod, John the Baptist uh, criticized you know, them, told them that it was not right. And Herod kind of just was meek about it. He understood that it was wrong. And Herodias got angry about such a thing. How dare he talk such a way to the, to the queen? And he, she did not like it. So she, she maneuvered to have their uh, niece, Samoa, uh, Simone, dance before Herod and his drunken buddies and pleased Herod enough that he said, ask whatever you would like. And so she went to Herodias and asked her, what should I ask for? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And John the Baptist was beheaded, even though Herod did not want to do such a thing. And it's kind of interesting as we read these stories of these kings, we read about Herod, who does... Huh? Yeah, Herod did not have a lot of gumption to do a lot of things to offend people. Pilate did not want to do things. Their wives are kind of running things. These guys are very weak leaders over the time. And we see this, and it's not something that history normally brings out in the books of this age period, but the Bible brings this stuff out. And it kind of shows us this book is not just written by man because man would not have written these kind of things showing weak, weak-willed leaders as men and being you know, ruled by women. So we kind of get this idea that the Bible is special. It, it brings out the full weaknesses of people all the time. David is brought out at all, as great a king as he was. If it was not written by man, they would have made David this great character, strong all of his life. And it wouldn't have shown him being uh, Bathsheba. It wouldn't have shown him falling, you know, losing his kingdom to his son because God wants us to know that it's not the people that are important with their own strength. It's what he does with them. And here we see John in this prison. And now he's questioning. Remember, he is the one that in, in uh, when Jesus came out to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was. And now that he's in prison, he's starting to wonder. Is this really the Messiah? Why is he wondering? Because he, just like all the other Jews, are expecting a Messiah that's going to set up a kingdom and get rid of Rome. Now he's languishing in a prison, and he's been doing everything he's supposed to do. He preached the gospel in the, in the wilderness. He was preaching the Messiah's coming. And now, instead of being rewarded for his obedience from his mindset, he's in prison. 
This is something, and he's questioning. How often do we question when things seem to be going bad in our life? God, am I really, are you really real? Or am I really doing the things you want me to do? Have I understood you when, you said, when I thought you said something? God, did I understand the scriptures right? Am I truly believing the right things? When we're in that middle of the trial, that's when the test truly comes. We talk a lot about these tests. Um, it was a day's journey, a day, day's journey there and back. Yeah, it was outside of Jerusalem. It was a, to the, to the uh, Jordan. So it was a good 30 miles, 20, 30 miles. It was, a, it was a trip. It wasn't, you didn't just walk outside the gates and get to the Jordan River. So there must have been some kind of temporary settlement there too for overnighting. Mm, probably people were used to tents and stuff, so... Uh, it probably was not uncommon. Let's see. Let me look at my map here. Yeah, about 20 miles. So it was a long walk, probably an overnight trip, you know, for 20 miles. I mean, 20 miles if you're used to walking is only a couple hours, three or, you know, two or three hours. Then you would be back and you'd spend. So it could be done in one day for these people who are used to Walking, walking everywhere they went. A lot of them would have come from Jerusalem because it was a religious city, but all around that area, you got uh, all you know, all those places right there, Bethel, Bethlehem, all of those right there. So he'd have drawn a crowd, but he'd have drawn a crowd no matter where he was at. He was a teacher that was a bold, bold teacher, and people wanted to hear the bold teacher and people still today want to hear bold teaching uh, there's a lot of people who have itching ears they just want to hear what they want to hear and there are many large mega churches that are ba based on this idea of let's just tell the people what they want to hear and I'm not putting all large churches in there but the larger your church is the more likely you are to offend people if you take a stand John the Baptist really went after him he went after the scribes and Pharisees and after Herod and Herodias uh, in, and he built up a group that, that wanted to hear truth. And there's always people who want to hear truth as well. You can build a large church with truth, but Jesus and, and John were always losing people. Yeah, Jesus would say hard things, and then he turned to the disciples at least twice and said, are you guys going to leave me too? Because the people didn't like what they heard, because it was hard. And this is something we have to keep in mind. The Bible is full of hard sayings. Things that are going to make us think twice about wanting to serve him sometimes. Last, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that the truth brings in division. It separates families. It separates close friends because the truth is the truth and, and God wants it spoken. And there's oftentimes when it's going to be hard to speak the truth if you're trying to be popular. <laughs> Many of them thought he was the Messiah. They asked him and he goes, no, I'm just the voice of the crying in the wilderness he was a bold man willing to say hard things even to leaders so they would have anticipated here's somebody who could be the messiah he's he's willing to take a stand so yes i mean but he now he's in prison and he's going you know basically while he's in prison he's going did i back the wrong horse you know did i did i really hear from god did I, is this really the person I thought it was supposed to be? 
And this is something that we all get into the same place. When times get tough, we oftentimes will do just that. Am I, have I made the right decisions? Did I, have I understood things correctly? Am I following God? And in one sense, it's good for us to do that, but we want to be careful how far we take it. John's very dangerously close to going too far the wrong way. But he sends his disciples saying, ask him. I just need to be sure. I know the Spirit told me. I know God told me. But I just need to be sure that I've given the right information. And this is a good move on him, but yet he shouldn't have been doubting in the first place. And something to also bring out is just because the Bible says things happen, just because John doubted, God is not saying that it was a good thing or even a right thing. Okay? We want to be careful. The Bible gives people's weaknesses as well as their strengths. And just because it gives us a weakness does not mean that the weakness is okay. And here, John is doubting. And he's doubting in the middle of a test. And it's not saying it's a good thing to doubt. It's just saying even a strong man like, like John can doubt. Which means if we doubt or we have questions in our mind, we're in good company. Not that we're doing the right thing, but we are in good company when we have this happen to us. So we're, you know, we look at somebody like John. Jesus is going to say that he's, one of the, he's the greatest prophet that ever existed. And John's in a place where he's doubting. So we want to be looking at this. And it's understandable, again, that he's doubting. He's stuck in prison. He's not able to get out and listen to Jesus. He's not able to get firsthand information. Probably doesn't give a Bible to read or anything because he's in prison. And we got to think about their prisons were nothing like our prisons. Uh, and American prisons are nothing like most of the world's prisons already. But even most of the world is better than what they were in this day and age where they just basically threw you into a hole. You know, a dark, dismal hole, damp rats, you know, vermin all over the place and, and stench, no restrooms to go to. You, you used your facilities in the corner where it would get strewn around by the animals that were in, the, in there with you. It stank. It was, it was not a healthy place to be. You did not get good food unless somebody brought it to you. And this is where John's at in that kind of a situation. And, he's, and it's kind of understandable that all of a sudden he's saying, uh, is this really the Messiah? <laughs> Is this really the Lamb of God? Is this really the one who's supposed to be the one I said was coming, the Messiah that's going to establish his kingdom? And Jesus' answer is classic. He said, go show John again these things which you do hear and see. So it appears that these people spent at least a whole day, if not a couple of days with Jesus, because he said, go tell him what you have heard and you've seen. He says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. This is quite a litany of things that are happening. Uh, the blind receive their sight. There's been several cases of blind receiving their sight in the, in the Old Testament. The lame walk, again, there have been people in there. The lepers are cleansed. The only leper I can think of that was cleansed in the Bible before Jesus was Nahum. And he was the general of the Assyrian army. And he didn't even want to do what it took to get, get healed because they said, because the prophet told him to go wash in the river Jordan. And he goes, I don't want to go, go into this dirty river. The river in Assyria are cleaner. Uh, but he finally obeyed and he was cleansed. The deaf hear and the, and the dead are raised up. 
All of these things happened amongst the different prophets. So Jesus is saying, go tell him. Show him, show him that God is at work. That I, that I am doing God's work. And it says in verse 6, and, they, and it said, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So basically saying, you're going to be blessed if you're not offended. And John is right on that cusp. It's like, okay, he's just not doing what I thought he was going to do. How many times do we have a problem when God doesn't do what we think he should do? All of us have been there. You know, anybody who says they haven't is lying because we've all had a, you know, oftentimes when we pray, God, I think you should answer. I want to pray for this and answer it this way. (laughs) He doesn't work that way. You know, but how often do we try to tell God how to answer our answer our prayer? You know, God, I really think this could be how you would work it out. And God says, I've got another way altogether. Yeah. And he says, blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. And John is dangerously close. He says, you know, he's, he's going, have I really, did I really hear from God? Even though he saw the spirit descend like a dove, he heard the voice of God. He still is in this place uh, in the middle of his circumstances saying, did it really happen? Did it really happen? Sometimes when we're saved and we, and we know that we've been saved, we know we're a new creation, we know that God's changed us, how often is it, when, how easy is it when we're in the middle of a great tribulation or a trial to kind of go, well, did it really happen? Did I really get saved? Did, did God really do something in my life? Especially when you're young in Christ, before you've gotten a long series of experiences to say, yes, I know that I know. That he's, that he's in my life. I no longer, there were times when in my 20s that I would question, you know, was it real? Was it something important? You know, but now that God has worked so many times, so many ways in my life, it's like, okay, God, I know <laughs> that you and I have a relationship. I know that you've changed me. I know that I know that I know. <laughs> and there's no question and nobody, can, nobody would be able to unconvince me that I know God. Now, can I prove it absolutely? Not necessarily. But I also know enough facts to be able to prove that I believe that evidence proves that God exists and that he is real. I have, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know who I am, where I'm at, and what God has done in me. And that's just through many years of experience with him and watching him, watching him work and bless and answer prayers and do the things that need to be done. And then he, then he goes in verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went you out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went you out for, to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare your way before you. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater in he. So let's look at these things. Jesus starts talking to the people. John's disciples have gone back to tell John, you know, basically encourage him. And you see how gentle Jesus is with John. He doesn't go to the his disciples and say, Go tell John to remember what he saw and, and, and live on, you know, remember. He goes, tell him what's been happening. But he asks, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? So he starts out, a reed shaken with the wind. 
And this is kind of an idiomatic statement. He goes, did you go out to see somebody who was shaken and, and, and turned with the wind? You know, every time you turn around, they, they have a different opinion depending on which way the wind's blowing. Mostly like our politicians today who make their decisions based on which way the wind is blowing so they can get reelected. And so Jesus is saying, is that what you went out to see? Somebody who didn't take any stance on anything? Well, what, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in the king's houses. And this is ornamental clothing. It would be, in our day and age, it would be the, the three-piece suit for the men or the, the really nice dress for the women, you know, decked out with the nylons and, the, and everything and saying, you know, and the hats and everything else, everything, everything exactly. And because did you go out to see somebody, somebody in ornamental clothing? You go out to see somebody who is just dressed up? He going to go see the fashion, <laughs> the current fashions? He goes, that's what you see in the palace. That's what you see in the king's houses. That's what you see in the banquets. People dressed up, trying to impress each other. He says, but what went you out to see? A prophet? He says, yea, and I say unto you, more than a prophet. And what is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who speaks with the authority of God and according to what God gives them utterance. And that's what John did. When, when John preached, he, he was bold. Now, it takes a lot of courage to tell the king that, his, that the woman that he's married to is illegal in the, in the, according to God. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement, especially when it's Herod that you're talking to because Herod was not a nice guy. Herod killed his sons just because he didn't want them usurping his authority, so he, would, he killed most of his sons. They, they said it was more dangerous to be a son of Herod than to be the pig in the, in the barnyard, which means you know, the barnyard was there where they were going to butcher the pigs for the field, for the food. And they said it was more dangerous to be his child than that one that was being raised for food. Because any time his son showed any inkling of being strong, he would kill him. This is, this is Herod. Not a nice guy. And John stands up to him and says, your, your marriage is not right. Goes to the scribes and Pharisees and calls them, you know, den of vipers and whitewashed sepulchers. He was, not, he was not bowled over by anybody. And Jesus said, you went out to see somebody who was bold and would speak, and he's even greater than the prophets. Why? Because he actually got to introduce the, the Messiah. And his, that fulfillment of this verse that he's going to give in, in verse 10, for this is he of whom is written, behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare my way before you. That's a quote from Malachi 3.1, that there would be a forerunner that would declare the Messiah's coming. And this is why John is in this kind of a place where he's a little bit depressed. He's in prison. He's announced that the Messiah is here. <laughs> and yet, Jesus is taking a long time to get the kingdom started. John is expecting him, when he announced him, to be able to start his kingdom right away. And we've got to be, understand this. The disciples thought this all the way through. This is why every time Jesus talked about going to the cross and dying for our sins, the disciples basically did not hear or understand what it was he was saying because it made no sense to them. They're following the Messiah. The Messiah is not going to die. The Messiah is going to build a kingdom and is going to reign in Jerusalem and his kingdom is going to last forever. So when he says, I'm going to go to the cross and die, basically they're going, does not compute, forget this statement. Yeah, but for the Jews, it's understandable that they don't get it because this is not what they expected. They, they, 
the disciples are thinking, and believe me, they were really thinking this, that we're going to be the dukes and the, and the princes of this new kingdom. We're going to be the, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be the aristocracy. He's throwing out everybody. He's the king. He is the son of David. He's a, he's a rightful king. And because we're his right-hand men that are helping him set up, we're going to be the generals, the dukes, the, you know, all the aristocracy, the people in charge with him. They're going to be his right-hand men. And this is what they're expecting. So when he, when, every time he starts talking about, I'm going to die, this is one of those things they're basically going, does not compute, throw this, throw this information away. And that's why they said that in the, all throughout in Acts, it says, and he brought to remembrance, and he brought to remembrance. Because they did not understand when he spoke these words. Because it did not. John's not understanding it at this point. He's in prison. He's, he's done what he's supposed to do. He's announced the, that the Messiah has come. And now he's in prison. Instead of being elevated into a high spot in the new monarch's reign, he's in prison under the old monarch and basically worried for his life. I mean, because at this point he doesn't know he's going to die, but he ends up dying. And Jesus is saying, you know, you went out to see him. What did you go out to see? Then I love it in verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he is the least in the kingdom. He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about the, the company Jesus put John the Baptist in. You've got people like Moses, a great leader of Israel, highly revered, by the Jews to this day. And Jesus says, he's greater than Moses. You got Joseph who kept all the family alive when it was before it was a nation. You've got Daniel, one of the greatest leaders and prophets of Israel. Father Abraham is, is considered a prophet. You know, we've got all these people, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. All these guys that are very high up in the, in the ranks of the Jews when they look at great prophets, great leaders in their history, and Jesus says he's greater than all of them. Yeah. And what do we have on there? Just a handful of verses about him. Very small amount of verses that we have about him. But he was faithful in the call God gave him. And, and then he says, but no, even though he's so great, he says, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. God wants us to be faithful and put him first. Because he's not looking at what can we do for him. He's looking at what he can do through us. And this is something we've got to keep in mind. It is not how great I am. It's not how great you are. It's what does God, what does God do through you. And God is always looking at, here I am, let me lift you up. If we are sacrificed to him, where we've let our flesh die and be crucified, he comes in and he lives through us. And he does great things through us and he lifts up the most humble individual. Exactly what the last part of that verse of that means is that this translation I got is the same as what you have. Mm -hmm. He was just thinking about everyone else if you're going to be able to be used by God and how do we get used by God we surrender our life to him we humble ourselves we, we surrender ourselves to him and he does great things 
one of the things I keep, and I harp on this a lot, read the different Christian biographies because you watch these guys who go, I just never expected this, that God would use me in this way. I never believed that God could do, use me to do these things. And it's amazing to watch what God does through you when you just surrender yourself to him. And he can do great things. I think of people like Chuck Smith, who just was a pastor, and all of a sudden he's built this, this local body that goes all over the world in their churches. You look at a D.L. Moody who becomes an evangelist and preaches all over the world, never thinking that he was that great a teacher. It is said in his biography that he would be depressed for, for days after a big event because not enough people came to the Lord and he wondered what he did wrong. Okay, we, you know, we see this over and over in the history of the great leaders that people look and say, not enough was done, or God, how could you have used me to do all these things? We look at somebody like Johnny Erickson who ended up breaking her neck and becoming quadriplegic and look at the ministry God has created for her to do in the weakness that, that she was able to accept. And you read her autobiography and, and see about how hard she suffered from all of this and then how God slowly raised her up and now the great ministry she has. We see this over and over again how God uses people who don't seem to be who never think very highly of themselves. They never think that they're, they're going to be the ones to be used. And then you look back and say, God, wow, what, what, what things you've done. What things you've allowed me to accomplish for you that I couldn't accomplish. Very few pastors of big churches or big ministries or leaders of big ministries ever come in thinking, I'm going to be the biggest ministry in this area that's ever existed. They come in and they just start something small. They just take what God puts in their hand and they're faithful, and God adds to that faithfulness, and adds to the faithfulness, and adds to the faithfulness. You start being faithful, and then God does the increase. And it's, it's fun to watch. It really is fun to watch how God increases faithfulness. And you're humbled by it at the same time. If you get a big head, you've got a problem. God'll, God'll, God will bring you back down to where you belong. But when you look at it and say, God, I just don't understand why you're doing all this for me. Why, why are you giving me these blessings? And it could even be simple. Because of our faithfulness, he gives us the things that our heart desires. You know, God wants to give us our heart's desires. He tells us he's going to give us our needs. But he's a good father who wants to also bless us. But he's only going to bless us when we humble ourselves and allow him to work through us. And not take and say, well, look what I've accomplished. My, you know, I worked really hard <laughs> to get here. No, God's going to say, no, you didn't do anything. It's all me. And we need to keep in mind that it is all him when it comes out. Let me see, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for, for to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So in other words, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven had been suffering violence. And this is true. Think of all the bad things that happened to Israel. Oh, because, mostly because of their disobedience. But they were supposed to bring in the kingdom of heaven. And they never really did. They were disobedient. They were judged. They, were, they also killed every prophet that came their way pretty much. 
to be a prophet in Israel was a pretty dangerous thing because you would be oftentimes killed. It's, history, history tells us that Isaiah, one of their great prophets, was stuck into a log and cut in half. You know, what a way to die. And he just spoke God's word. You know, and they were very famous for killing the prophets because they didn't like what the prophets said. And we see this all through the history of the Christian church. We had many Caesars trying to destroy the Christian church. We had the persecutions through the Middle Ages that were trying to destroy anybody who wasn't Catholic and believed in the Bible and taught, and taught, taught Christian doctrine. And there was all of those massacres. We see even the reformers were not very nice to each other. <laughs> you know, Calvin fought against Tyndale's people who fought against Huss's people and, and when they had rule over a town, they were just as bad as the Catholics were to burn people at the stake and, and kill them because they weren't following correct doctrine in their mind. This is, the Christian church has not had a very popular getting along with one another and still doesn't often get along in the different denominations. Try to do something with multiple churches sometimes and you'll end up with problems sometimes with each denomination not wanting to work with the other denomination. And it's a sad place to be, the division that is in the church and oftentimes for some really dumb reasons. You know, some of them may be serious, but not enough to not work together. But there are certain groups that are, are not even Christian and they need to be called out at times. So because that's an important thing. Now, to try to call out somebody who is a Christian and believes that Jesus was born of the Virgin, died for our sins, and the Word of God is true, and He was resurrected, then we don't want that. But there are many places that call themselves Christians that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, doesn't believe that He died for our sins, and doesn't believe that salvation is from a free gift. Those ones need to be called out. People like the Mormons who don't have the same Jesus that we have. People like the Jehovah's Witnesses who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we're, that we're saved by grace. Very important for us to understand that those groups are not Christian, even though they claim to be Christian, because they deceive people and will take people to hell with their doctrines. If you want to go to a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or Episcopalian church or a Assembly of God, a Lutheran church, some of their doctrines I don't agree with, but hey, as long as you were happy there and you, this is where God's called you, go there, be my guest. There are certain doctrines that I would say I don't think are biblical, but that's between the individual and, and, and their reading of the word. Just as here, and I've said this over and over, I don't expect everybody to believe everything that, that I believe. Now, I have strong reasons why I believe. I've got 45 years of study behind me to tell you me why I believe what I believe. But you're free to believe what you want between you and God outside of Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins and he rose again and he's the only way to heaven. Outside of about those four or five points, and I've said this over and over, there's only about four or five points that are strong enough for me to say, you must believe these points. Now, I believe that if you don't believe in creation, you've got some serious theological problems, but if you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe in creation to be saved. I don't know why you wouldn't, but that's another story altogether. You don't have to believe, you don't have to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in work today, even though I don't understand how you could, but you don't have to believe that to be saved. But you definitely have to believe that Jesus died for, for your sins and he, that he is the Son of God, because that's the only way that you can end up being saved and being called a Christian.
what do we divide over? What do we separate over? It's so important for us to understand. There are certain places and certain things that need to be called out. There are certain churches that are so far off from the biblical, even though they have Christian in their name, they are not Christian churches anymore. Because they don't believe in the word of God. They don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. They don't believe that he is the, way, the only way to heaven. And I'm not going to sit there and call every one of them out, but I'm going to tell people what to look for. If people listening to these messages are in a church that denies that Jesus is the son of God, denies that he's the only way to heaven, then they need to go find another church. Period. I'll say that bluntly. They need to find another church. Because they're not in a church that's following and being a Christian church. And all the other things are superficial as far as that goes. Now, does that mean they're of no importance on these doctrines that, that may be controversial? Probably not, but they're not, they're not of such importance that we say, stay away from me, you're, you know, there's no way that I can fellowship with you. And I will include in that one where we stand at once saved, always saved, and another church thinks you can lose your salvation. I think they're biblically wrong. They think we're biblically wrong. But I will stand on ours and say it's still not a place to really make division up, uh, between us because it's not a core belief that has to be understood. They will find out when they get to heaven that when they actually got saved, they were saved for the rest of their, rest of their time. And when they get to heaven, they'll find out the truth. We're not going to sit there and try to, I'm not going to go into their church and try to change them and say, you're all wrong, get out of this church and come to a church that's teaching the truth. No, that's between them and God. But if they're not believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, now we've got a problem. That's a problem. And here he's saying, who's going to be, you went out to see a prophet and it was by violence, and it says, the prophet and the law prophesied until John, but if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Basically, he's saying that John was really the last of the Old Testament type prophet. All right, prophesying Jesus' coming. Because we want to be careful. Every part of the Bible is about Jesus. From the very beginning to the very end is all about Jesus. And it really is when we dig into to it. It's all a picture of Jesus. We see the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. We see Genesis talking about the creator. And from the very beginning, it says there's going to be the redeemer who's going to come and buy you back. We see a picture of Jesus in, in uh, Abraham when he goes to offer Isaac on, on the altar. And he's, in his case, it's substituted at the last moment with a lamb. We see it in Joseph who redeems his people and saves them. We see it in Moses who, who leads the people of Israel out. We see it in the design of the tabernacle that we spent months going over talking about how it shows Jesus and, and, the, temp, and the temple in heaven and all of that. We see it all through the laws and how the law is who God is and who his character is. We see it through Joshua, the great leader of Israel in, in the conquest of the promised land. We see it in the redemptive nature in Judges. All through the scripture, we see Jesus over and over and over again. The whole book is about him. And when we get to Jesus being on this world, now it's all about who he is in a more open light. So the prophecies all change. And, and there may, there's still a few prophecies still to be fulfilled, but they're still related to Jesus but it's now related to his second coming because he's already come. And he says, there's not going to be another prophet like him. And he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. 
And I think about this statement. If you, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you remember before you got saved, if you ever started reading the Bible, how hard it was to try to understand anything in the Bible? It oftentimes made no sense at all. It was just, they were words. And they were cryptic words. But once we come into knowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells us, have you realized how fast the words start making sense and start meaning things and you start seeing what they mean behind the scenes? God makes clear his word. And it's designed to be simple. He says that if we are to come with the faith of a child, and you think about this, when you first got saved, you probably knew very little about the Bible and very little about the Word of God. Basically, you were responding, I'm a sinner, God, God condemns me, and, I'm, and I, want to be, I want to go to heaven. Usually that's all we know when we respond to the gospel. Now there's a handful of people who've grown up in the church and know, know a few more things. But in reality, pretty much all you know is, I need something. I need something, I need someone, and I'm going to believe in, in God. And he comes into our heart, and everything changes. Everything changes. The word of God starts becoming clear. We start having peace in our heart. We're at rest. We see God at work in our life around us, as long as we don't get around a bunch of naysayers who turn, turn it away from us. But we see him at work, and we start hearing his voice. We start seeing what it is that he desires for us to live under. And everything about our life changes when he comes in. And this is what he's saying. If you have the ears to hear. I've, I've grown to the point now where all I want to do is hear God's word pretty much. I don't want to waste my time watching things that don't, aren't godly. I don't want to spend my time not hearing godly things. It's taken me many years to get there. Now, I've always loved Christian song, music, and Christian shows and stuff. But now I'm to the point where I almost exclusively listen to that stuff. Because I just want to be taught. I want to hear. I want my ears to be filled with more of God's truth than ever before. And I can't get enough of it. And you know, I talk about this all the time. I really am encouraging people, get as much teaching as you can. Because this is what's going to keep us. This is what's going to grow us. And again, I understand if you're not there. Believe me, I understand. It's taken me years to get to the place that I pretty much, I have two channels I listen to, and they're virtually 100% Christian teaching almost all the time with a very few songs in between. And one of the channels is switching over and doing a lot more music, and I'm going to have to write them a letter and tell them to go back to the preaching. I don't want all that music. I love the preaching. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to do any good, but I am going to write them a letter saying, Te- go back to the teaching. Yeah, they've switched back the other way. And I don't listen to this, this channel that you'd be listening to here. On, on, I, do, I just listen to it when I'm on this side of the hill. But we want to be listening to teaching. We want to be taught. And make sure they're good teachers. <laughs> Because you need the, we need that uh, expertise that they bring. And we're going to stop here because I don't know that I have time to take the next, next section. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts. Teach us to submit ourselves and allow ourselves to be sacrificed for our wills to your will. And then 
Help us open our ears to hear what you would have us to do and say. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.